name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Um, so, um, so we agreed that there are four influences upon us. Who can name them with me? They are? There you go. I like this audience participation where everybody talks at the same time. It's much better than the audience participation where everybody snores at the same time. So, um, yeah, so God, the devil, the world, and the self, right? And we agreed that only one of these is consistently reliable, and we agreed that that was God. So, and we were, we were talking about now how to kind of get rid, process of elimination, of the other three. Um, and we talked a little bit about each of them and why they, why they are unreliable. We didn't talk much about the devil, we just assumed that he was unreliable. Um, uh, so the best tool, hands down, in all of this, in my like humble experience and reading and so on, is fasting. Um, and the reason is this, is that when you set aside time to fast, you are naturally... Uh, pushing yourself away from the world and from people around you uh, and from stuff that's going on to devote yourself to praying and to devote yourself to being with God and to devote, devote yourself to um, trying to sort out what God wants you to do about what decision you're trying to make in life, right? And so naturally what happens when you push the world away like out of sight, out of mind, when you push the world away, the world becomes less influential upon you, right? When you push your desires away, like I'm, I'm trying to decide between this and this. If I take a break from both of them and go and spend time to be alone with God, then naturally, out of sight, out of mind, my desires kind of like they were boiling like a pot before and they kind of simmer down, right? And then myself, fasting, most of us find it particularly painful because it's taking my desires and saying no to them, right? And that's what Jesus tells us about being his disciple. He says, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself daily, take up your cross and follow me. So being a disciple of Jesus is all about emptying ourselves, denying ourselves, and that's what it means to follow him, right? So don't let anybody or anything fool you. There's no road to being a Christian or being uh, like a disciple of Jesus that involves doing everything I want to do whenever I want to do it and however I want to do it. That just doesn't exist, you know? Like, I remember watching this sermon once where this guy was saying like, I don't know why Jesus held out on us and like he told, didn't tell us about the middle way. You know, he told us there's like a, he told us there's like a wide way that leads to destruction and a narrow way which leads to the kingdom. But guess what, folks? There's also this middle way, which is like not too narrow and not too wide. And you can do some of the wide stuff and you still end up in the kingdom, right? And obviously, Jesus didn't tell us about a middle way because it doesn't exist, right? But we, huh? It's called lukewarm, Right? And that middle, that middle way is what I'm aiming for all the time, right? I'm always trying to see how much can I get away with? You know what I mean? Can I do what God wants 
and I'll do what I want, you know, but I won't do everything I want because I won't have enough time to do all of what God wants and all of what I want. So let me see, if I do all of what God wants, I must have some time left over, some energy, resources, money, whatever, to, left over to do what I want, right? And so I was trying to fit God's way and my way, and I'm trying to marry them together, right? That is not what being a disciple of Jesus is all about. That's not Christianity. You can do that if you want to, but don't fool yourself uh, and call yourself a disciple of Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus is about denying myself. Simply said, what is that? That means when you walk into a restaurant and you look at the menu and you look at it and you see what, what do I want on this menu, that's what you shouldn't order, right? Because that's what you want, right? So you're not, I'm not going to give myself what I want. That's exhausting to do that all the time, right? But if we take certain periods of time, focused periods of time, two days, three days, five days, or so on, to, to devote ourselves to denying ourselves and seeking God, naturally, naturally, less of our attention goes to ourself. And that's, and we're before we're saying, resist the devil and he will flee from you, right? That's also involved, that, that also gets involved. And so this is like a one-stop shop, you know, um, to, uh, that's, this is like a, a, a one-stop a one shop to, um, uh, to, uh, to, to trying to hear, to hear God speaking to us. And this is the, the, this is the verse that we were just saying. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So that was kind of what, what I had for session one. So for session two, there's, uh, there's uh, this guy who uh, doesn't hear very well. He goes to the doctor, right? And the doctor tells him, look, I, I think you, you don't, your hearing isn't as good as it used to be. Whatever, we need to get you fitted for hearing aids. So he gets him fitted for hearing aids. And uh, he comes back and sees the doctor. And the doctor tells him, so how's, how's it going with your hearing aids? And he says, he says, it's great. I can hear all these things that I couldn't hear for years. He, say, he says, really? He says, yeah. He goes, have you told your family yet that you can hear them? Like it's been three weeks that you can hear perfectly and you couldn't hear before. He says, no, I haven't told them yet. He goes, this has been great. I've changed my will three times over. <laughs> right? So maybe we need a little bit of help, some tools to help us to hear, hear better. Sometimes we're trying to asking God, where are you? And God is saying, I've been here all along. And sometimes we ask God for a sign, right? And God makes it like plain and obvious in front of us. Like I love that clip from Bruce Almighty. I was going to put it in here, but just for the sake of time, I didn't where, uh, where he's like driving in the car and he's praying and he's telling God, show me a sign, show me a sign. And there's this truck carrying road signs in front of him and they're all saying like, stop, turn around, danger, do not proceed, do not enter, whatever. And then he like hits a light post, right? You know, and God sent him a sign, very, many signs, a whole truck full of signs that was very obvious, um, but he, he couldn't, necessarily, couldn't necessarily see it. Um, reviewing again from the first session, just another verse uh, about how much, because this is, this is pinnacle, this is pivotal, this is like the thing that makes it or breaks it. I really need to be convinced that God Himself wants to communicate with me. If you look up, like, look up Jeremiah 31, look up verses 31 to 34. I couldn't fit them all on the screen, but I, so I just put verse 34. But somebody read for us 
Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. So we see God is saying, I want to make a new covenant with you. I want to make, make a new promise with you, right? And we see here, God is saying, No more shall a man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. God is saying to you and He's saying to me, Don't tell me I'm too sinful for God to speak to me. Don't tell me I'm not... You know, God might can speak to... Buna or to the bishop or to the pope or to the whoever but not to me I'm just uh, this I'm just uh, that I'm just too young I'm just too old I'm just too tall I'm just too short I'm just too this no 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 no, none of that God is saying to you and he's saying to me I want to make a covenant with you I want to make a promise with you no more is somebody going to come and talk to other people about me to you you will know yourself Imagine this, imagine this, imagine that um, Mary, my wife, went and had some kind of operation or, uh, you know, I don't know, had some big thing happen in her life, okay? And I found out about it from you. Wouldn't that be shameful? Like what planet am I on? Right? What planet am I on that I'm getting news about the person I'm the most close to, most intimate with, from other people? Right? Like, how shameful is that? You're going to say, yeah, Buna, but that's, that's you and your wife. But this is God. God is over there. He's in, you know, galaxy God, and I'm here. Right? No, he says, though I was their, though I was their husband, but they broke their covenant with me. But still, I make a new covenant with them. God is referring to us in this passage specifically as our husband or as our spouse. God doesn't want us to get thir third-party information about Him anymore. Many times people come and ask me, Buna, can you just tell me what God wants me to do in this situation? The answer is no, I can't. Because God doesn't want to have a relationship with you through me. He doesn't want, I don't want a third person in bed with me and my wife. God wants to be, forgive me, in bed with you. He doesn't want me in there. <laughs> I have no place in there, right? This is an intimate relationship between you and between Him. 
where you speak with Him and He answers you, where God loves you. God doesn't want to whisper words of love through me to you. Like, that's creepy, you know? <laughs> right? Right? So from the first session, we were saying that there's too much competing noise, right? The self, the world, the devil, right? And if you think of a king in a courtroom, right? Like, if there's a lot of noise in the courtroom, the king isn't going to stand on his throne and start waving his arms and saying, guys, please listen to me. Listen, listen. I want to say something. He's the king. You don't want to listen? I'll lock you in a dungeon. <laughs> you don't want to listen? Get lost, right? The king, the king isn't going to make a fool of himself so that he can be heard. When the king wants to speak, everyone goes silent, right? So when the king wants to speak in my life, I need to find a way, I need to find a way to make, to dial down the noise, right? And that's where, this is all reviewing from the first talk, right? And that's where fasting and prayer, devoted, like for a devoted, focused period of time, not like forever and ever, is a great way of doing this. And when I say fasting, I don't mean like becoming like vegetarian. I mean like, I mean like taking specific time every day during the focused period of time, be it three days or five days or wherever, where you're really praying about this specific thing and doing that in conjunction with a period of abstinence, like time where you don't eat, you don't drink or anything, right? Um, because you're praying about this specific thing. So you're denying yourself some of your desires to eat and to drink and to whatever. That's the self-denial part. And the positive side of it is that I'm praying and I'm asking God um, specifically in His will regarding this thing. Sometimes people spend so much time of their prayers asking God, what do you want me to do about this? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? That they become blind to all other things other than the answer to this question. And God is giving them the answer, but they're not, they're lo not looking in the right place. Like we talked a little bit in the earlier session, right? So sometimes I counsel people not to pray and fast about an answer to their question, but to pray and fast about being with God. To, to kind of retreat a little bit from the, like the, wor the, the world and its usual preoccupations and social engagements and things you need to do and family and friends and service and all this stuff and just pull yourself a little bit away from all of that to be alone with God for God's sake and that alone. Sometimes that works better than fasting and prayer, praying about getting an answer to your question, right? But either one of those will will help us to find God. So what am I expecting when God is going to speak to me? So how does God speak to me? So there were four influences upon us. Now we're going to talk about four ways to hear God's voice, right? And they're in a kind of particular order. There's the little nudging in our heart. There's Holy Scripture. There's spiritual guidance. And there's the sign of the open door. So we'll talk about, we'll talk about these one at a time. So the first one is the nudging of the heart. Right. Um, by the way, if you guys want the my the slides, you're welcome to them. Like nothing is copyright. All the pictures are from Google Images. Like, right? The videos are just off the web. Like uh, you're you're welcome to them. The scripture is almost all from the New King James Version. Um, so this is from First Kings 19, 
where um, Elijah just had a contest with the priests of Baal, and he proved that they're nonsense, and the people of Israel all stopped worshipping Baal, the, the idol, and they killed all the priests, uh, and Jezebel, the queen, heard that they killed all the priests, and then she gets really angry, and she wants Elijah killed, and so Elijah runs for his life, and he runs for his life and he faints in the desert because he's so tired and an angel wakes him up and feeds him and gives him to drink and he runs more for his life and he faints again. And that happens again a third time. And then he goes and he hides himself in a little cave, right? And when he hides himself in the little cave, God comes and speaks to him and tells him, I speak to you, right? And he says to him, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in the mantle, and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave, and suddenly a voice came to him. There's a couple of things here that I'm just going to um, draw your attention to. One is that the voice of God came in the context of, of a lot of like calamity, like earthquake and fire and rocks falling and all this stuff, right? But that wasn't God. God is very gentle, very, very gentle. It's rare, it's uncommon that God will speak to you in a, in a harsh way or that God will, will speak to you in a way that is um, sarcastic or that's very uncommon. Like, who am I to say like God is like this or God is like that to define God? Like, who am I to tell God you're not allowed to do that? No, he can do whatever he wants, but... It's not really described very much in Scripture, in the lives of the saints, or anything that God was, was, was harsh. You know, maybe in, in my life, maybe I can remember once or twice that God was harsh. I remember once we were helping somebody move. Me and a couple of friends, when I lived in Vancouver, somehow the word got out about us at church that if you were moving, you'd call us, right? So we would rent a truck and whatever, and we'd go, and we just, it was like every weekend we were moving people, multiple people. It was exhausting. But whatever, we just did it, right? Because it's what you do. You be friends, help friends out, I guess, right? And so we were moving this, this couple once, and uh, the guy that we were moving was on the phone, like the entire time, Right? And we're like carrying, and he's like, oh no, the TV doesn't go there, it goes there. Yeah, sorry, uh, sorry, I just had to tell them what to do and whatever, right? And <laughs> so the guy who's carrying the TV with me goes, who was his brother-in-law, says to me like, if he doesn't get off that phone right now, I'm going to like make him swallow it or something. I can't remember what he said. It was something along those lines, right? And then I'm very sarcastic by nature, so I started s saying something really sarcastic in my head, Right? And I felt God clearly in that moment telling me, hey, that's my son you're talking about, huh? Like, let's just clarify, right? So that was an instance in my life, I think, where God was a little bit, a little bit harsh with me, you know? But 
I shared that example with you to tell you like that's harsh for God you know um, God is very 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 gentle another thing which I'll draw your attention to is it says that God it says that that uh, it says that God's voice came suddenly to him you know God does that like when you least expect him he pops out of nowhere he's like jack in the box you know so don't don't be surprised if everywhere you've looked for God, you haven't found Him. And then He pops out of somewhere where you hadn't looked or you hadn't expected Him. God tends to do that. God tends to do things that are surprisingly obvious. Like oftentimes He hides Himself in plain sight. Um, so you can expect that, right? My little rule of thumb is what am I trying to avoid? Like what am I... Like, if I have like two options, which one am I hoping that it's not, that's not God's will? You know, which one am I leaning towards? Then I know that myself is pushing me a little bit in that direction, and I should be a little bit suspicious if God is also pushing me in that direction. That doesn't mean that God never wants for you what you want for yourself. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying, you know... The danger of all of this is us walking around saying, God told me to do this. God told me to do that. When really, I told myself this and I just want to add some credibility to it. So, God told me to do this. Another danger is that we become self-proclaimed prophets and we go, start walking around and telling other people what God wants them to do. You know, McCary, I was praying the other day and God told me that He wants you to shovel my driveway this winter, you know, right? <laughs> Right, so it has, you know, it has a great potential to be abused. Right, so we have to we have to ask ourselves the thing that I think God is telling me. Right, is this like helping me in my journey of self denial and self emptying, or is this kind of cutting me some slack and giving me a break? You know what I mean? And be a little bit suspicious. I'm not saying God never wants to cut you some slack and give you a break, but. Maybe I should just be a little bit suspicious if every time God speaks to me, it's to make my life like easier and happier and more pleasant and more easy, right? So scripture, this is a, a, a quote from, I think, Ask for the Ancient Paths, where he's describing scripture. He says, the scriptures are both the word of God and are about the word of God, Jesus Christ. They are God's revelation of himself, the word of God in the words of men. The Bible is a witness to the revelation of God and it is a part of the active and living holy tradition of the church. Thus, if tradition is the life of the church, then the scripture is the primary language of that life. So, what do we mean by what do we mean by holy scripture? Well, there's there's the Bible itself for sure, right? But then there's all of the other things that are surrounding the Bible as well. Right? Scripture, the word scripture comes from the word script, like written, right? So what else is written for us? Well, there's all the liturgical texts, there's the writings of the early church fathers, there's the lives of the saints. All of these things are things that help us and direct us toward God speaking to us. It has happened to me innumerable times that I didn't know what to do, and I open my Bible and I read, and I feel like God directs me through that, right? Oftentimes, also, what needs to be mentioned is that these four different ways of God speaking with us, the nudging in the heart, scripture, 
conf confirmation through spiritual guidance and the sign of an open door, they oftentimes work in conjunction together. It's very rare and you should be suspicious if you have like evidence in one department but not in any of the others. Then you should ask yourself, hmm, what's going on? Usually God tries to speak to us through all of these different mechanisms. So, um, just to keep moving. Um, and then there is spiritual guidance. So, I already mentioned before that like spiritual guidance is not like about going to the fortune teller, uh, your spiritual guide to tell you what to do, but rather confirmation through a spiritual guide, right? So, people come up to me sometimes and tell me, or, or I go to my spiritual father sometimes and tell him, Abuna, I think God is telling me to kill my wife, right? <laughs> and then Abuna very respectfully says, as highly possible as that may be, I think this time God is not telling you to kill your wife, right? Um, right? So sometimes, sometimes people come and tell me, Abuna, I think God is trying to scare me from going down this path. It's very uncommon for God to use fear. Like that's really, God hates fear. God does everything in His wits to make us not afraid. So sometimes having a spiritual guide to bounce things off of helps us to kind of know, you know, is this, am I on the right track or am I not on the right track, right? But that's about as much as you should expect from a spiritual guide and if a spiritual guide comes and tells you, like the, the prophet from God, do, God is telling you to do this, not telling you that you should be suspicious or you should be weary, but maybe. Like, why hasn't God spoken to you directly? You know, maybe, maybe they're right. You know, like there are, I have met people who are incredibly holy. Like, like there was a man I never met before in my entire life who told me to be a priest of this church and told me my name and told me what my ministry would look like and told me all this stuff before I was ordained. So yes, that stuff happens, right? Um, but he didn't tell me, he didn't command me, he didn't push me into something. He didn't push me into something and make me feel uncomfortable, you know? Um, he just told me. He told me, yes, yes, you'll be the priest of this church and this will be your name. As if he was answering my question that was redundant in his opinion, you know? So, um, so that's what you should expect from a spiritual guide. Then there are signs. Oh, signs. People, we oftentimes look for signs. I'll tell you something. God uses signs. He does use signs. But signs are the fourth thing we're talking about for a reason. Because they're the least common way that God likes to communicate with us. Now think about this. If I want to have a conversation with Mark, right? Am I likely to do that by like leaving him like little, little clues all around the room that he has to go and he has to find this clue and then when he finds that clue, he has to do this thing and when he does that thing, then he has to do that clue and, and that's how he's going to get the message at the end of the day? Now, if Mark and I have a close relationship, isn't it much more likely that I'm just going to walk up to him and I'm just going to nudge him and I'm just going to whisper something in his ear, right? Or if he's not really paying attention too much, right? And I tried that and he's not paying attention, isn't it much more likely that I'll send him a text message, right? Or if this and that kind of failed, like 
isn't it more likely that I'll maybe ask a third person to just draw his attention? Maybe I won't tell that person what it's about, but I'll just tell him, like, hey, can you just let Mark know that I want to speak to him when, when he has a chance? You know what I mean? And remember, all of this that I was saying is that, like, God is working in, in your, your heart and mind. His Holy Spirit is working in you already, right? So a spiritual guide's job is just to kind of highlight to you what God is already doing in your heart. And I bet you that 90% of the time that God uses me to do that anyways, I have no idea I'm doing it, you know? So many times I text somebody, uh, you know, and it's just, hey, how's it going, right? And then God will use that to remind them of something, to bring them to repentance, to whatever. And I, all I really meant by the text message was, hey, how are you doing? Like, I really, it wasn't like, you know, code for it's time to confess or code for I haven't seen you at church or code for nothing. It was just like, just reconnecting. Like, hey, we haven't talked in a while, right? So, but God does use signs. Um, and the sign that he uses the most frequently, if at all, if he's going to use a sign, is usually the sign of an open door. So sometimes you find that all the doors around you are closed. And then all of a sudden, one door opens. And behind that door is another door. And that one's open. And the door behind that door is open too. And the, so you're looking, at your, and you're looking at your options. And like this door is closed, that door is closed, that door is closed. That door is open. And every other door that follows afterwards is open too. Right? And... Um, there's a beautiful story in First Samuel about um, about that. So let's read that story. We'll read that story together, and uh, and we'll see this as an example of how God uses signs sometimes. One day, John, uh, one day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, "Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side." But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibe, under the pomegranate tree that is at Migron. The, the troops that were with him were about 600 men, along with Ahijah and Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord, and Shiloh, carrying an ephod. Now the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. In the pass by which Jonathan tried to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag, rocky crag on the other. The name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sene. One crag rose to the north in front of Michmash, and the other to the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will act for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. One of my favorite verses. Nothing can hinders the Lord from saving by many or by few. His armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your, your mind inclines to. I am with you as your mind is, so is mine. Then Jonathan said, Now we will cross over to those men and will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand. That will be a sign for us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out from the holes where they have hidden themselves. Then the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor-bearer, saying, Come up to us, and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, and his armor-bearer following after him. 
The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor-bearer coming after him killed them. In the first slaughter, Jonathan and his armor-bearer killed about 20 men within an area of about half a furrow long in an acre of land. There was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and even the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. So, Jonathan says, we're going to do this and this, and if they do that and that, then God has delivered them into our hand, right? And, and we'll take this as a sign. And they do that, and God allows them to, you know, win that small battle of like 20 people. But it wasn't just that small battle of 20 people. The whole army realizes, oh my God, like, the, the, like you know, w w there, there's like an ambush against our army, this and that, and they all panic and they all go running, right? Um, and so much so that it's like an earthquake. They run, they run so hard, or maybe it was a real, there was a real earthquake, right? So... We have to be careful when we, when we ask God for signs. Like in this story, like if we're going to be honest, like Jonathan asks God for a sign um, and God accepts to play ball with him. But sometimes we ask God for signs that are, forgive me, they're like a little bit, I don't know how else to say it, but they're a little bit nonsensical. Like, like when I leave home today, if it's raining, then God wants me to take the job which is close to home. But if it's sunny, then God wants me to take the job that I have to commute to. Like, what, how does, what, what's the relationship between like meteorology and like, and like, you know, your, your, your career? And we all do that. I do that all the time, right? Um, when we make deals with God like that, we have to be very careful that those deals that we make with God are deals that God would want to make with you, you know? So, like, you know, like, Mark, if you give me your cell phone and your car keys, I'll give you nothing in return. Deal? Like, Mark's looking at me like, you're nuts, right? You know, like, a deal has to be acceptable to both parties, you know what I mean? And sometimes we're asking God, sometimes we're asking God f to make a deal with us that doesn't really make doesn't really make any sense. So that's why, like, people who are kind of wiser than me and have been down this road a few times, prefer if the sign comes from God, not from me, you know? Although in this case, I agree with you, Jonathan is the one who d decided the stipulations of the sign, right? So I'm not telling you that this is wrong. I'm just cautioning you that this, 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 this can have some pitfalls that, that we described, right? But sometimes God himself is like rolling the red carpet out before you. And he hasn't like, he hasn't spoken to you, you know, Monica, Monica, this is what I want you to do. But, you know, but he's made it, he's made the path really, really easy for you. When we came to buy the church, it was like that. The church came on the market. We had like $40,000 in our bank account. They wanted two and a half million, right? Down payment is, a, is, is at least at least half a million, if not a little bit more. And um, yeah, so, uh, but like it's the first church to come on the open market since we started the church and, right? And then we, uh, so we went to go see it. We liked it. Um, we, we put in an offer and we made the offer subject to financing because like 
if if it's a firm deal and we don't we can't find a bank to finance us, then what are we going to do, right? Uh, we'll lose our deposit. So we uh, so they called us back and they said, would you will it be willing to make the deal not subject to financing if we got a bank to a, to approve you for a mortgage? I said, well, sure, like because then like then yeah, like exactly, right? Next phone call I get is from a bank saying, we approved you for a mortgage. I'm like, well, be, like they don't know anything other than our name. You know, like, like, do you want anything? Do you want like our financial statements or anything? They're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Send us our financial statements. So sent the financial statements thinking like, now they're going to laugh at us, right? <laughs> they called me back. They're like, yeah, sure. How much do you want? And I was like, uh, two million would be good, right? So two million is 80%. Residential loans can go up to 80%, loan-to-value ratio, but commercial loans never go that high. Like, highest they'll ever go is maybe 75%, but the usual is about 60 to, to 66%. Like, 60% or two-thirds, that's kind of the common thing. But I was playing stupid, right? I know all of this. I'm just playing stupid. I'm, like, asking for 80%. They're like, yeah, sure, no problem, right? And then I'm like, really? Are you, like, are you sure? They're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, can I, can I see this in writing? Uh, and uh, and then and then they you know they gave us an offer and then later on we asked them to convert our mortgage into like half a line of credit and half a more like and God just kept opening one door after another after another without us trying like like God was opening the doors without us doing anything on our part and that was one of the few times in my life where I was telling God God you're moving way too fast for me like my my adrenaline levels can't handle this, this pace, you know? But, um, but that's a very kind of like, that's kind of like a very, like, uh, I don't know, like sort of fantastical story of the sign of an open door. But there's been plenty other things in my life that were signs of an open door that weren't that dramatic. But. So in conclusion, just like summing everything up, right? God really, really wants us to know His will. He really, really wants us to have two-way communication with Him. In fact, like everything that Jesus did from the Old Testament to His incarnation to all of His life and all the miracles and, and all of that to Gethsemane and the cross to the resurrection, to His ascension, to all of that was to lead us to Pentecost, to lead us to have the indwelling of His Holy Spirit inside of us. This is the most precious, the most precious gift the church has is, is that, is the, is the ability to confer upon people the indwelling of, of the Holy Spirit, right? And God has given you the Spirit as a guarantee of the kingdom. God wants you to have complete and unshakable confidence that the kingdom of heaven is yours. And you have that when you have, when you have a daily dialogue with God. Then you know that God is in communion with you. God is not letting you go, right? And God is not willing to let you go no matter what, right? And then we talked a little bit about how to make this practical. Flee from the devil, the world, and yourself. And then all that will be left is God. And then four ways that God reaches out to us through the nudging in our heart, which is the most common. I probably get like hundreds of thousands of little nudges in my heart from God, right? Through scripture, maybe I open my Bible at once or twice or three times a day, right? So it's a little bit less common. 
through spiritual guidance, right, can kind of confirm or validate or, or maybe help to realign or redirect things, and the sign of the open door. God bless you. Questions? Matthew has a question. Mm, that's a really good question. So, the nudging, the nudging of the heart, your, my conscience rarely tells me that I'm doing something right. It oftentimes tells me I'm doing something wrong, right? The nudging, the, that's not always the case. Like, you know, like maybe your conscience does tell you like, oh, good job, you did this really well. That was really nice of you to help the little old lady cross the street with her groceries or something, right? But my conscience typically is telling me like, Oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, like your parents wouldn't approve of that. Oh, whatever, whatever, whatever. Right? Even when you're 37, your conscience will still be telling you what your parents approve of and disapprove of, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Right? Exactly. Right? Um, so uh, I hope the jokes that your conscience tells you are funnier than the jokes that I tell you. <laughs> um, but uh, but the nudging in my heart oftentimes doesn't only tell me things that I need to repent of or whatever, but oftentimes also gives me direction, like in a positive sense, like like to do this or don't do that, or oh, don't forget this, you know, and so on. And I'll be honest with you, God is probably nudging me in my heart like 100,000 times a day, and I probably miss the overwhelming majority of them. But the goal is to is to to recognize his voice and know his voice and be obedient to him more and more every day, you know? So, and I oftentimes know that like that was God who was speaking to me when I don't do it and I see that how good it would have been if I would have done it, right? So oftentimes like, like I kind of find out like a little bit too late, but that's okay. Go back, take that as, a, as an opportunity and make a mental note to yourself. What did God's voice sound like when He nudged me in that moment? And in the future, were that to happen again, how can I prevent myself from, if, if this exact scenario were to happen exactly again and God were to nudge me in exactly the same way, how could I not miss, miss it the second time, right? And through doing that, that little self-examination as you go, will make it a lot easier for you to... Uh, to uh, um, learn what God's voice sounds like in your life. You sound like you had another question. You're good? Other questions? If I relate this to session one where you said there's the verse where the heart is uncurable and deceitful, deceitful above all things, and how would I kind of discern from anything my heart tells me that's funny business versus something God's putting on my heart and God is nudging me? Um, so then there's some other really good advice that I didn't, that I didn't uh, add here because, because, just because of the time. But um, always be a little bit suspicious of, like I didn't tell you what to avoid. I told you like how God speaks to us, not like, I didn't tell you all the traps. Always be a little suspicious if there's a voice telling you, you have to do this, you have to do it now. You're going to miss this opportunity. You're going to miss this. That's like anxiogenic like that's that's not it's very unlikely God is using anxiety to try to push you into doing something that's right 99.9% of the time whatever you think God is trying to tell you to do you can like take it away you can pray about it you can read scripture you can ask for confirmation from a spiritual guide you can like 
God knows that you have to do this at this time. It's unlikely He's going to come to you at the last minute and tell you what to do. You know? He's probably going to tell you early enough to give you enough time to pray about it, to read about it, to go and ask for guidance, to, you know, you know what I mean? So that's one thing. Whenever something is urgent, always be a little suspicious. The only thing that is always urgent is repentance. Right? Like if you think of like, like I remember what like in my like um, uh, time management stuff that I learned and whatever, like you kind of try to classify things as things that are important, things that are not important, things that are urgent, things that are not urgent, okay? The only thing that like what should be in the top corner of like urgent, like top urgency and top importance is repentance. Everything else is second to that. What else? Oh, I didn't mention this, um, but it was, it's very, very good advice that I got, is not only confirmation from your spiritual guide. I mean, I don't advocate talking about your personal business with everybody that you know, but if you have a circle of friends who are spiritual people, people who love God and love to follow Him, all of you, I know almost all of you very, very well on a personal level, and you all really love God, you know, it's, it's great to take one or two people aside and tell them, hey, can you pray about this with me? I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do in regards to this, in regards to work, in regards to, to school, in regards to this. Can you pray about it with me, right? And they can kind of go along this journey with you. Again, not as like somebody like who's like a, a, a fortune teller, but, um, but some, someone to accompany you on the journey. Sometimes it's helpful to ask ourselves, what am I... What am I not open to? Like, I'll be really upset if God is telling me to do this. You know? So that's another thing that's helpful to keep, keep, my, keep, my, uh, keep my eyes open for. And that's about it. That's from another, another talk, another sermon I was listening to. Other questions? God bless you all. It looks like we're actually back on time. God bless you. My pleasure, my pleasure. <laughs>